Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, and thank you so very much for being with me this Wednesday for our 2JPS special report on what the Trump administration is doing on immigration in their final days. Okay, let's begin with a story. During the 1830s, there were two political party systems known as the Democrats and the Whigs. The issues at the times were mainly concentrated on essentially banking policy, nullification, abolitionism, and immigrant rights. And in the 1830s, many people were migrating to the United States. Though those people had cultural differences, and they spoke other languages, and they had other religions. And that is when the anti-immigration views began. Most of the people who were migrating to the United States at the time were Irish Catholics, which caused vitriolic reactions between some Protestants. And that vitriol led to riots in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. Then racist signs like these began appearing across the streets. Quote, help wanted. No Irish need to apply. End quote. And after vehemently attacking Irish immigrants in the 1830s, then came the 1840s. And in the 1840s, the attention was diverted to Germans, again, who were mainly Catholic at the time. Essentially, in ethnic terms, the Germans and Irish were related to the other colonial Americans. However, they were viewed differently and hard to assimilate. As Ron Elving puts it at NPR.org, quote, They were seen as not just competing for jobs, but threatening the social, cultural, and political order. End quote. So because of that vitriol and disdain for, from them, uh, because of that vitriol and disdain from these anti-immigration activists in the 1840s and in the 1850s, political parties in the United States sort of formulated into opposition of immigration policies. Some of these political parties coined the phrase Native American, labeling themselves as nativist, and that has stuck with us for many generations. But then, out of nowhere... A couple secret political parties, a couple secret societal political parties emerged. They were there 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 there's one political there's one secret political party called the Order of the Star-Spangled Banner and the other one is called the Order of United Americans. And people who were members of these parties had to deny it. For instance, when asked if they had any insight about the group, they said, I know nothing. Do you attend meeting with do you attend meetings with these groups? I know nothing. Have you ever have you ever met this member of the group? I know nothing. Subsequently, because of that, because of those secret uh, political parties, they earned the name because essentially because they kept saying I know nothing, they earned the name the Know Nothing Party. So that's how they got their name. They believed that people migrating to the United States were socially, culturally, economically, and politically threatening. They believed that these filthy immigrants were destroying our country. But the Know Nothing Party was really devoted to in passing, in, in, into passing nativist legislation at the state and the national levels. And basically, their plan was to infiltrate political parties by essentially ascending to high elected offices and therefore advancing their anti-immigration agenda. So they indulged in conspiracy theories, claiming that these people are all going to these people are all going to bring over to all types of diseases. They're going to drive up our crime rate and create a bunch of social unrest. And this party did become relatively famous quickly. In the midnight in the mid 1850s, the Know Nothing Party had attracted members of Congress, which eventually led to the end of the Whig Party. When our nation's 14th president, Franklin Pierce, nominated a Catholic to be the postmaster general here in the United States, nativists were enraged and took to the streets to vent their infuriation. 
They attacked, they attacked and annihilated major metropolitan areas and Catholic churches and Catholic businesses in small towns. And it continued from there. The know-nothing mayor of Chicago, Levy Boone, said that there would be no jobs for immigrants. The know-nothing mayor of Philadelphia, Robert Conard, said that there would be no political appointments of immigrants, native-born Americans only. And this party continued to grow. They began taking over state legislators and promoting their message, advancing these conspiracy theories and advancing this anti-immigration rhetoric. These filthy immigrants have to go. That was their message. They were really becoming a huge deal in American politics at the time. Then came 1856, when the Know Nothing Party nominated a candidate for president of the United States. Do you know who they chose? They chose a former president from New York, who it turns out appointed his daughter to a White House to a prominent White House position, also indulged in conspiracy theories, and believed that immigrants would drive up crime rate in this country. So great pick, right? I mean, it's actually perfect and touching with our party. And so the guy that they chose was our nation's 13th president, Milliard Fillmore, a lifelong xenophobe and racist, who went on to receive 21% of the popular vote in that election. He only received about a handful of electoral college votes, so the Know Nothing Party emerged as this new political alternative state because of the collapse of the Whig Party. But then the Whig Party, but then the Know Nothing Party, it too collapsed. I mean, its central message was that immigrants were destroying this nation, they were driving up crime and causing all types of dissatisfactory. They were causing all of our dissatisfactory. That's where we're not happy. Those filthy immigrants are here. And that didn't sustain for long. I mean, part of their fighting and their arguments were just incomprehensible. Because statistically and population-wise, most United States citizens, with the exception of Native Americans, are immigrants. So it didn't work. But this kind of talk and, xenophobe, and xenophobic behavior revivified in 2016, when Donald Trump ran for president of the United States. Right? I mean... He ran on this anti-immigration platform, expressing his disdain for immigrants in the United States, saying, my first day in office, those people are gone. Referring to them as all, referring to them as, as all types of derogatory and racist and xenophobic terms. And so then came the night of the election, November 8th, 2016, when many people were staying up to look at the results to see who's going to win the presidential election that year. You had Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. You had a Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. Who would win the election? Then the early morning hours of November 9th, 2016, we got the results. It was Donald Trump. Indeed. The anti, the guy who ran on the, the anti-immigration platform, It was no surprise when the New York Times posted this bombshell article on their website in early 2017 about President Trump. Uh, the headlines read, quote, Stoking fears Trump defied bureaucracy, bureaucracy to advance immigration agenda, end quote. This is how the article started, quote, Late to his own meeting and waving a sheet of numbers, President Trump stormed into the Oval Office one day in June. According to six officials who attended or were briefed about the meeting, Mr. Trump then began reading aloud from the document, which his domestic policy advisor, Stephen Miller, had just given to him before the meeting started. The document listed how many, how many immigrants had received visas to enter the United States in early 2017. More than 2,500 were from Afghanistan, a terrorist haven, the president complained. The nation of Haiti had sent 15,000 15, people, excuse me, 
had sent 15,000 people. The president grumbled that they, quote, all have AIDS, end quote. 40,000 people had come from the nation of Nigeria. Mr. Trump said that once they saw the United States, they would never, quote, go back to their huts in Africa, end quote. So this piece from the New York Times came out in December 2017, and the White House vehemently denied this information. They, they vehemently denied that this was voracious. However, the New York Times did stand by their reporting, and it appears that they had sources. Quote, two officials in the meeting who described the comments found them so nerve found them so noteworthy that they related them to other officials that uh, they related them to others at the time. End quote. And the president did receive lots of criticism for these xenophobic remarks. Frank Sherry, the executive director, uh, the executive director of America's Voice, a pro a, a pro immigration group, said that the president's immigration agenda was motivated by racism. He said, "quote He's basically saying you people of color coming to the American coming to America seeking the American dream are a threat to the white people. We's he's coming into." He's come into office with an aggressive strategy of trying to reverse the demographic changes underway in America. End quote. So once again, that was that was 2019, and then it happened again in 2018. But if you just go back for the the 20 the 2019 one for 2017 one for a second, it's just so astonishing that that actually happened. I mean, the president literally said these things about immigrants. The president of the United States said these things about immigrants in our country. And it was not surprising. It was it was kind of astonishing to actually hear that, to actually hear that be relayed and reported in the New York Times at the time. But for others who had followed Donald Trump's campaign closely during the presidential election in 2016, we know that he ran on this anti-immigration agenda. We know that he ran on this nativist agenda that we, we got to get immigrants out of here. That's what he ran on. Then came in again in 2018, when the New York Times published another bombshell article about the President of the United States. The headline read, quote, Trump alarms lawmakers with disparaging words for Haiti and Africa. End quote. But Washington Post reporter Josh Dawsey was actually the first to break that story, writing, quote, President Trump grew frustrated with lawmakers Thursday in the Oval Office when they flouted risk restoring protections for immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador and African countries as part of a bipartisan immigration deal. The president said, quote, why are we having all these people from asshole countries come here? End quote. He then suggested that the United States should instead bring more people from countries like Norway. End quote. Yes, Norway, with a predominantly white population. That would be great. So the president's anti-immigration language has been part of this administration for a while. As conspicuous evidence of that, take, for instance, the family separation policy under the Trump administration, in which case children were separated from their parents at the southern border. Now we have just learned recently that at least 666 kids have still not been reunited with their parents. That may now start happening now because the Trump administration has, oh yes, just finally, finally decided to stand up and hand over phone numbers and other contact information of parents. That information they had previously not disclosed. They initially told immigration attorneys, attorneys that they didn't have that information. They knew and they deliberately sat on that information. 
I mean, it's just astonishing, right? It is gut-wrenching that the Trump administration had this information. They knew they had this contact information that they could have provided to these immigration attorneys to at least try to reunite these families. And they sat on that deliberately. And I mean, just, 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 just for one second, imagine the trauma of those children now. Last year, for instance, the New York Times conducted interviews with several children about their experience at, at these detention facilities. Take a listen. We came to the U.S. because there were people who wanted to hurt us. I'm hungry here at Clint all the time. I'm so hungry that I've woken up in the middle of the night with hunger. I'm too scared to ask the officials for any more food. There isn't water or soap to wash our hands after we use the bathroom. We have to ask for toilet paper if we want any. My sister and I hold a blanket up for one another so no one can see us go to the bathroom. I am five years old. I am from Honduras. I, I am seven, seven years, years old. old. I am from, I am from El, El Salvador. Salvador. Asian separated me from my dad. I have not seen my father again. I was wet when I got here and was placed in the cage without being given dry clothes. It is so cold. I was shaking so hard. I'm the third teenage girl who has tried to take care of this little two-year-old boy. I feed him and give him water. I also take care of another little kid. She calls me Mama. She is six years old. There is no room to move without stepping over the others. We were not given a mat to sleep on, so we had to sleep on the cold concrete floor. The lights are on all the time. We cannot sleep because every 15 to 20 minutes, the guards are yelling something. Get up! We spend all day and every day inside of that room. There are no activities, only crying. During the two weeks we've been here, they have let us outside about five times for 20 minutes. I would like to get some fresh air. I've been here without bathing for 21 days. Once, I needed clean clothes for my baby because she threw up. But when I asked for them, I was told they didn't have any available. She is still in the same dirty clothes. I have not asked for anything since then. About three days ago, I got a fever. They moved me to a flu cell. There is no one to take care of you there. They just give you pills twice a day. My skin is itchy and red, and my nose is stuffed up. It's so ugly to be locked up all the time. I miss my mother who lives in Delaware. I don't know why I am still here. I don't want to go back to my country. Sometimes when we ask, we are told we will be in here for months. We are told we will be in here for months. Once again, that was a video released by the New York Times about migrant children's experiences in these detention facilities. Most recently, we have learned that the Trump administration has been detaining migrant children in hotels. This was reporting from Caitlin Dickerson at the New York Times. Quote, a private, a private security company is detaining migrant children in hotels. Under emergency coronavirus orders, the Trump administration is using hotels across the country to hold migrant children and families before expelling them. 
The article continues, quote, The Trump administration has been using major hotel chains to detain children and families taken into custody at the border, creating a largely unregulated shadow system of detention and swift expulsions without the, without the safeguards that are intended to protect the most vulnerable migrants. Government data obtained by the New York Times along with court documents show that that hotel detentions overseen by secure over overseen by a private security company by a private security company have ballooned in recent months under an aggressive border closure policy related to the coronavirus pandemic. Children as young as one year old often arriving at the border with no parents are being put in hotels under the supervision of transportation workers who are not licensed to provide child care. Immigration and customs enforcement officials say the children are being adequately cared for during the hotels during the hotel stays and emphasize that their swift expulsion is necessary to protect the country from spread it from the spread of the coronavirus <clears throat> the hotels ex- exist outside the formal detention system they are not subject to policies designed to prevent abuse in federal custody or those requiring the detainees be provided access to phones healthy food and and medical and mental health care parents and lawyers have no way of finding their ch- the children or monitoring their well-being while they are in custody end quote so that was reporting from Caitlin Dickerson at the New York Times. Andrew Loren, uh, Andrew, um, excuse me, Andrew Lorenzen Strait, another former deputy assistant um, director for custody management at Immigration and Customs Enforcement, said, "Quote: A transportation vendor should not be in charge of a should not be in charge of changing the diaper of a one-year-old, giving bottles to babies, or dealing with the traumatic effects they might be dealing with. I'm worried that kids may be exposed to abuse, neglect, including sexual abuse, and we will have no idea." <clears throat> End quote. So all this is happening at once. And as this is as this is continuing to happen, as we are receiving this news, we wake up to this. We wake up on the morning of November 7th, 2020, and we learn that Joe Biden has won the presidential election. And yes, for many people who have felt like they have been sort of enraged over the over these past four years. That was the case on election. That was the case on November 7th, just days after Election Day, that, yes, finally a return to normalcy and decency and competence in the White House. But yes, 42 days away, then Joe Biden will be sworn in as president of the United States. And in the meantime, the Trump administration has tried to impose as much pain and infliction on our nation in these remaining 42 days. For instance, NBC News reported that the Supreme Court is skeptical of Trump's plan to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census count. Does that sound familiar? The Trump administration is playing a, a an interesting game here. They have been doing this since the start. This is what Donald Trump ran on as president of the United States, an anti-immigration agenda. We also got this news from Yahoo News. Trump administration works to limit to limit immigration in final days. CNN reporting that the Biden administration is now preparing to the Biden transition team is now preparing to inherit Trump's controversial immigration policies. And that could just leave him with having to essentially undo that for decades because of what Trump has done to the immigration system. The trauma that those kids that you heard there in that clip the trauma that those kids went through. The crying, the, 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 the exhaustion, the not bathing for 21 straight days. The same clothes. 
The New York Times reported just last week that Despite Biden's vow to halt construction of the border wall, the Trump administration is expanding it. Forget the Biden transition team. We're going to do what we want. That's what the Trump administration is doing right now. And just essentially to just put an encapsulation on this, the Trump administration's anti-immigration policies is gut-wrenching. It is nefarious. But it goes back to what Donald Trump ran for as president of the United States, right? I mean, Donald Trump ran on an anti-immigration agenda. To my first day in office, those people are gone. Get them out of here. That is what Donald Trump ran on. President of the United States, oh, we get new reports that, oh yeah, Donald Trump referred to people in, hey, and he referred to people in, in Haiti as, quote, having AIDS, end quote. He also referred to people in Nigeria. He said once they saw the United States, they would never go back to their, quote, huts, end quote. He also referred to other countries as s-hole countries and told four prominent members of color to go back to where they came from. This racism, this these xenophobic statements by the president of the United States, they are not new. This is not a new sort of inflection point in American history where we're all just sitting back and saying, huh, I wonder if that's happened before. Or this is so disgusting. This is so rep repugnant. Yes, it is that. But this goes back to a dark core part of American history. Nativism. Or the president telling members of Congress to go back where, to members of color, members of color in Congress to go back to where they came from. This anti-immigration language, we have had anti-immigrant presidents before. We have had presidents who have indulged in conspiracy theories about immigrants. If you recall that devastating El Paso shooting that just took place last year in August of 2019, the person who was described to have killed those many, many Hispanics in that El Paso Walmart, he said he was encouraged by President Trump's anti-immigration rhetoric. He was encouraged by that language by the President of the United States. And this is, I feel, it is something to watch for. Because as the, the Biden transition team is still getting underway, as we are 42 days out right now from the presidential inauguration where Joe Biden will be sworn in as President of the United States, I feel it is important to keep an eye on what the Trump administration is not only doing to other things, but the immigration system as well. Keep an eye on what they're doing here. Watch what they are doing. Not exactly the nonsensical things that they are saying, but pay attention closely to what they are doing. Follow these news reports. You can literally find it online. What the Trump administration is doing here is it goes back to a deep, dark core point in American history where American nativism used to be something where American nativism was essentially a political party, right? The know-nothing party. Do you attend meetings with this, with this person or with these people? I know nothing. Except back in the 1850s and back in the 1830s and the 1840s, it was, it was, it was nativism. That's the same thing that is happening right now. That is exactly what the Trump administration is doing. This nativism language. And it's, it's sad, right? It's, it's disgusting, it's it's repugnant, it's diametrically indefatigable. Not not indefatigable, my apologies. It is well, in some sense, you could say that word. 
in terms on their anti-immigration agenda. There is really need to be concerned here because of what they're doing. For instance, the Trump administration has tried to overturn DACA. A federal judge has just reinstated DACA. And now the Trump administration is now having to be forced to accept applications again. This is not a new thing in American history, but the Trump, administra- the Trump administration is pulling on a, 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 a thread that should not be pulled on for their racist and xenophobic and political benefit. The president of the United States is indulging in this. This is what he ran on. This is what he swore. Watch what they're doing in these final 42 days. Seriously. Watch what they're doing. Thank you so much for being with me on this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show on this anti-immigration, on what the Trump administration is doing with their anti-immigration policies in these final 42 days. Keep an eye on this. This is important. We're going to have more reporting on this on the Jeremiah Patterson Show this weekend, actually. So please stay tuned for that. But thank you so much again for for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Please feel free to share this episode with your family and friends to really share the message about what the Trump administration is doing in their final 42 days as essentially using this under the radar. I mean, I've had reporters on the show who have said, yes, the Trump administration is doing this under the radar. So much is happening right now in the news and so much is happening right now across the country that this story has barely registered in the minds of some people because some people don't know that this is still happening. But yes, this is happening. Their anti-immigration agenda is continuing to be advanced. Keep an eye on this. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you this weekend.